Heya, I'm Chloe Veltman and this is NPR's Book of the Day. Family secrets are such a powerful driver of plot. Scandalous and juicy, the things characters try so hard to conceal from their loved ones propel a multitude of novels, from Charles Dickens' Great Expectations to Amy Tan's Joy Luck Club. Adrian Brodeur's Little Monsters delights in secrets of all kinds. As the author explains in her interview with All Things Considered host Mary Louise Kelly, her novel is written from multiple perspectives and focuses on the well-to-do gardener family on Cape Cod. The father is on the brink of a major career-capping scientific discovery. The son is about to seal a very lucrative real estate deal. The daughter is an artist poised for greatness. Yet as successful as they might seem, the gardeners are also burdened with dark secrets. At the patriarch's 70th birthday, their shadowy truths start to emerge. Let's go now to Mary Louise Kelly. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why accessibility is central to Betterment's mission. The real innovation for Betterment was taking a set of tools that were used by the ultra-wealthy and making them accessible to the average investor. And that includes tax strategies, that includes dollar-cost averaging. These are all sort of tricks of the trade. Learn more about automated investing technology at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Four years ago on this program, you heard me interview the writer Adrian Brodeur. She had a book out, a memoir, about family secrets and infidelity, and it was set on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Well, Brodeur has just published a new book, a novel titled Little Monsters. It's a story of family secrets and infidelity, and it is set, wait for it, on Cape Cod. Adrian Brodeur, welcome back to All Things Considered. Thanks so much for having me. So your earlier book... Wild Game, was one of the most gripping memoirs I have ever read. And I am curious, having tackled these themes and this setting so beautifully in a work of nonfiction, why revisit in fiction? You pegged it when you indicated how fascinated I am by family secrets. And I think it was just a delight to write about a different family. And although you've pointed out a few similarities, I'd say this family is very, very different from my biological family. It was also especially fun to go into various characters' heads. It's a multiple point of view novel. And so I wasn't stuck in in one character. In only knowing what you knew. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this family, the fictional gardener family, who, if you were an outside observer, would think, gosh, they're perfect. They've figured it all out. Briefly introduce us to the gardeners. Right. So the gardeners are a small family. It's a father and his two adult children. There's Adam Gardner, who's the patriarch and a renowned marine biologist. He's about to turn 70, and he's on the brink of making just an enormous scientific discovery that will keep him relevant. His ambitious son, Ken, is 41, and he's just sealed a real estate deal that will catapult him into a new stratosphere of wealth um, and privilege. And this is really going to enable and help his run for Congress. And then the other child, Abigail, is 38, and she is 
finally finding her voice as an artist and is about to be discovered in a big way. But what you quickly learn about this family is that they're all holding some information and they have all, for a variety of different reasons, decided to reveal their big secrets at Adam Gardner's 70th birthday. Which I I won't give anything away, but it does not go as any of them <laughs> would, would have hoped or planned. Okay, I have, I want to follow up on Ken. Let's okay. start there. I did not like Ken. Like, I really didn't like Ken. Uh, he's not nice to women, even the women he allegedly loves, his sister, his wife, his daughters. He's, there's a scene that I couldn't get out of my head where he's hanging on his porch and he's pounding beer with his buddies and they're leering at young teenaged girls. To the extent that you can explain without giving things away, why is he so awful? Does he have to be so awful? I, I worked hard to make him less awful. <laughs> really? Actually, this was the less awful this version is, of Ken? Well, I actually, what I tried to show about Ken was he's wounded. He's the most wounded character in the book. And humans are like any other animal, which is they're, they're most aggressive when they're hurt. I am always interested in the gray area of characters. I'm not someone who's excited about heroes and villains, but more in what's courageous and corrupt in all of us. The father, the patriarch, Adam, he wrestles with mental illness. And you have a chapter where you write in heartbreaking detail about his depression. I know because you told me the last time we spoke that you have wrestled with depression. And I wondered what it was like to write that chapter. He is a character who, when the novel opens, is in a bout of mania and he, interestingly, wants to extend that mania because he is excited by what his brain can do when it's not anesthetized by his medication. So he actually stops taking his medicine, which is playing with fire, and which does ultimately lead to a quite a sinking depression. But I actually didn't relate Adam to me at that moment in terms of writing about his depression. He, he was at a very different point in life. He's really anxious about his fading relevance. He was so convinced of this brilliant idea and his what he was about to discover, and then he isn't sure that it's real in the end. And so yeah. his was just completely different than my own 20-something-year-old depression that I talked about in Wild Game. Yeah. There's one more character, Steph. She is a member of this family, but she grew up not knowing that. She's the product of a one-night stand decades ago, one of the many secrets kept in the book. She spends the whole novel trying to figure out, does she want to be part of this family? Does she want to be a gardener? It so intrigued me, her storyline, that idea of being able to choose your family and whether you can. I love that, too. And I will say that that was not conscious as I was writing it. Um, both my parents happened to have half-siblings that they didn't know about, so I've always been fascinated. Really? From huh. the point, both of them. Okay. Both of them. <laughs> both from the point of a half-sibling entering a family, but also how it must feel 
to make that discovery that the truth of your history is not as you understood it before. But the unexpected question that I took away from the book, which I actually loved sort of as a discovery in the final chapters, is that we're all born into families and we kind of accept the terms of those families without thinking we have a choice. And what Steph showed me is, well, some people do. <laughs> and so, you know, what if we all did have a choice? What would we do then? I am struck by how many secrets are in the book, how intrigued you obviously are by family secrets. They pervade your fiction, they pervaded your memoir. It makes for such a compelling book. It makes for a really exhausting life. <laughs> <laughs> life, to never quite know what's going on. Just speak a little bit to that about what fascinates you so here. Well, I think probably what's fascinating is that I'm afraid it's much more normal in my own childhood and upbringing than it probably is for most people. I think one of the things that I find interesting is the assumption that everyone makes about others based on their own experience. So each of the characters in this book, and probably every person on some level, somehow assumes that they know most of the information when, in fact, we all know so little. I mean, sometimes we don't even know what motivates ourselves, but someone looks at you a certain way and you develop a story around that because we're all storytelling animals and we create these stories. But by and large, they're rarely accurate. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah. Adrienne Broder, her new novel is Little Monsters. Thank you. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Delta Airlines. When you think about it, half the trips the world takes are trips home. Home. What we all eventually long to get back to, no matter what took us away to begin with. Those at Delta know that. Because all 100,000 of them are, above all, travelers just like you. It's why they try to make you feel at home long before you even get there. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR.